If you can imagine um, your, your reputation, uh, your life uh, being summed up in one moment uh, by one act, if people looked at you and said, because of one defining moment, that is how we see you and how we portray you, can you imagine what that would be like? Imagine people throughout history that so many of them we know very little about, but except we know one accomplishment that they've done. You know, there's one action, maybe a misdeed, maybe something, something incredible. Uh, but because of that one incident, that is the extent we know about them, and that's the extent to the way we view them. Think about someone like, like Christopher Columbus. We, we think about him as this great explorer, and we've celebrated him uh, for, for a holiday annually throughout much of our history. And more recently, we've started to think and ask, uh, who, who was he beyond that one action that he did? And we think about, actually, there was enslavement and oppression that he did. He, he brought to indigenous people. If you think about other people, Martin Luther was, was a huge character for, for us as Protestant Christians. Someone we think of as the person who nailed the 95 theses on a church in Germany and started the Protestant Reformation. You, you read about his history and his later writings, and he starts to write things towards the end of his life that are very anti-Semitic. We can do this about other people. You think of John Wilkes Booth, and you think of he did one action, and was that representative of all of his life, the assassination of, of Abraham Lincoln? And you can think about this through, through so many different characters, and we know one aspect, one choice that they made, and is that, is that who they really were? Is that representative of who they were? Is that actually fair for how we view them? I think one person that we do that to in, in Scripture and uh, carries a reputation with him that maybe isn't quite fair uh, is Thomas. The, the, the disciple of Jesus that we've called Doubting Thomas throughout church history, and we look at him and we think the, the thick-skulled guy who can't believe that Jesus came back to life after, after uh, Easter. And he has his, his friends and companions, the other disciples that are reassuring him, saying, Jesus is alive again, you can rejoice, you can celebrate this, and he's just the stubborn, obstinate uh, unbeliever, the person who says, no, I don't, show me proof. And I think that this is a little bit unfair to Thomas. I think, I think we, we misrepresent and misunderstand some of what's going on in Thomas's life. And so we want, I want to talk some about Thomas today and some about his experience with Jesus. We've been talking about the gospel, the gospel of John and seeing different encounters we've seen with Jesus throughout this gospel. Today we, I want to talk about Thomas and how, how that, that name, Doubting Thomas, isn't quite fair to the extent of what, what we see we see him mentioned a couple of times in other places in, in the Gospel of John, and I want to mention one of them, which maybe fills out the picture a little bit more of, of who Thomas was. Uh, one, one thing I want to spend a couple of minutes on before we, we get to that, that story uh, after the resurrection where he asks for proof, I want, to, I want to back up a couple of chapters. 
There's the, the story that we talked about last week that, that Mike preached on, the, the story about where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and he has this interaction where you see Jesus' empathy towards uh, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, in that, there's actually a part where we see Thomas. See, in this, in this story, Jesus delays going to be with Mary and Martha when he hears that Lazarus is sick. And it, it's strange. Jesus seems to linger before going to them and responding to them. And there's this, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, and the disciples say, if we go to that region, if we really are going to go and see Lazarus and be with Mary and Martha, this is a region where we're going to be persecuted. There, there's danger to going to this place. And we see Thomas speak up during this conversation. So I want to I read this uh, to you. So this is going to be in John 11. In verses 14, it says, So then he told them plainly, he being Jesus, and he says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, catchy nickname, uh, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Thomas, Thomas says, I will go with Jesus. I know that the risk that, that comes with me going with Jesus to this region, and it's very possible that by us going there, we are going to our death. He says, okay, I will follow you, Jesus, on this path. I will go with you. I am loyal and I am committed. I am bought into Jesus even to the very end. New Testament scholar Dan Wallace says, one gets the impression from Thomas's statement that he was something of a pessimist resigned to his fate. And yet, his dedicated loyalty to Jesus and determination to accompany him at all costs was truly commendable. We get this picture from, from Thomas not as this, this resistant, wavering skeptic, but we get a picture of someone who is very committed to Jesus. Someone who says, I'm, I'm all in for Jesus. I am fully set on him, and I will go with him to the very end. I'm willing to die with him. This is, this is what we see from Thomas. Thomas isn't someone who, who's fickle, who can't make up his mind. But he says, I'm, I'm bought in. Jesus, I'm following you to the very end. What we see with this is as the story continues, Jesus goes, and several chapters later, eventually the, the time comes where Jesus is, is betrayed. He's arrested. He's ultimately crucified and dies. And so you can imagine for Thomas, the person who says, I am fully committed to Jesus, I am all in on Jesus. And now he looks up at the cross and he says, the person that I put my hope in, the person that I said I will follow to the end of the road, he's now taken from me. The person that I based my hope on, the person that I was clinging to more than anything else, I'm watching him breathe his last breaths. I'm, I'm asking questions and I'm having doubt come up because I'm looking and I'm saying, how could this happen? I was fully on board with him and now he's no longer with me. At least I thought I would die, we would die together. 
and now I'm take, he's taken from me. Thomas, Thomas isn't someone who, who is a skeptic. Thomas is someone who's experienced tremendous spiritual disappointment. Someone who's experienced spiritual loss like no one else. Someone who's experienced so much loss and has so much pain from what what he's lost because he's put so much hope and he was so committed to Jesus. This wasn't how it was supposed to play out, he must ask. Why why is this happening? I, I didn't see this coming. I thought I was with him and I thought we would always be together. If you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, or if you have not yet had an experience like this, it's important to understand as you enter into a relationship with Jesus, there might come a time where you have an experience like this. There might come a time where you experience massive spiritual disappointment somewhere along the level of of what Thomas experiences here. And it's important as you enter into this relationship, and if you have not had that experience yet, it's, antici- it's important to anticipate that this could come. To not be blinded or, or unaware that this can be a reality of what happens in our relationship with Jesus. Many of you, I've heard some of your stories, and you have gone through this. Many of you say, I know the realities of what happens when I follow Jesus and when I'm fully committed, that the reality is something like this could happen, and it has happened. Some of you have stories of of a mentor or someone you've respected, and you've witnessed them abuse their power, and you've seen the ugliness and manipulation that you thought, I was following this person, I trusted this person, This was somebody that I thought the Lord had blessed and and had guided me, and I feel so betrayed by this person. How can I trust again? Some of you have stories of where you say, why is it that the burden of a wound someone has caused me, why can I not find freedom from this? Why does it seem like the Lord cannot provide healing for this wound? Other people, there's other questions. I know many of you are committed to your work and you desire to live out your faith through action at your work and you care for your students, you care for your patients as though you're caring for Jesus himself. And yet as you do this, you say, why does it seem like all of my actions, all of the love that I pour out is never received and doesn't make a difference? Why does it seem like I, give, I can give so much and yet there is so much wrong in this world that it doesn't even, it's not even a drop in the bucket? And we think, Lord, how, how can this happen? What, what is the point to all of this? What, where am I supposed to go? And I, I've given so much and I was on board and yet I am so disappointed and so hurt by what's happened. This is Thomas's experience. And Thomas's experience of disappointment, it grows into hopelessness. 
It entrenches itself in his heart, and it gets to the point where not only is he, is he in despair about what happened in the past, it prevents him from spiritual experience in the future. You see, as this, this continues, uh, later, after Jesus', after Jesus death on Good Friday, Easter comes. On Easter, we see that Jesus appears to, to several of his followers. There's a group of women at the tomb that he appears to. He appears to, to the disciples uh, in an inner room. He appears to two followers on the road to Emmaus. But in all of these appearances, Thomas isn't there. This is what happens in, in John 20. In verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where his nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. He says, I need to see, I need to touch him. I need to feel where the nails that were put in his hands on the cross were. After Jesus died and a spear pierced his side, I need to feel that. I need to be able to see it with my own eyes and touch him. As much as we want to say, Thomas, this is, this is a really extreme uh, demand. You've just heard the account of the other disciples that are reassuring you that he's alive. Notice, this is the same evidence that the other disciples had. The other disciples got to see this already. They saw him with his own eyes. They saw the wounds on his hand. Thomas is saying, I followed Jesus too. Let me just see the same evidence that you had. I'll believe then. But otherwise, you're, you're telling me, believe this, get my hopes up, get excited about this. You are rejoicing and experiencing joy, and I am so hurt, I can't have hope. The, the grammar of, of his reply saying that, that he cannot believe, he will not believe, the, the, this implies that it's not so much a refusal to believe, but a statement that he doesn't have the capacity to believe. He's saying, it's not that I'm, I'm thick-skulled and refusing to believe that I'm being obstinate here. I'm hurting too much to believe. I don't have the room in my heart to get my hopes up that this is actually real. And so unless you can show me Jesus and I can see him with my own eyes, I am not able to believe this. When we see it like this, there's pain behind his words. Not someone that we should call doubting. Not, not the stubborn skeptic the one who is hopeless, the one who said, I had so much hope and I was so faithful and loyal to Jesus, I was fully committed to him and he was taken from me and there is nothing left to put my hope in. Where can I turn? He was had by Jesus and he's not going to let that happen again. 
The wound is too fresh. It's too fragile. There's too much pain there. There's no reason for hope. And so Thomas is not neutral in this as though he's going to look for the truth and try to discern, is Jesus really alive? And let me look at the evidence and weigh the arguments for, for either of those. He's going to stack the deck against Jesus being alive again and say the burden is on proving that he's alive because I can't afford to get my hopes up again. And so I'm not a neutral uh, observer who's trying to discern what the truth is. I am protecting myself from further loss. So he demands proof. He says, let me touch those wounds. This reminds me of of a more uh, lighthearted story. Um, There was a a show that I liked to watch growing up, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. And there's this part in one episode where Ray is, uh, he's a a fairly successful sports writer. And there in this one episode, uh, he is nominated for an award, Sports Writer of the Year. And so he's supposed to go to this banquet and then he'll find out if he he won or not. And he says, I don't want to go because I think I'm going to lose. And so let me just, I'm just going to skip. Somebody else is going to win anyways, and uh, that's that. And his wife says, no, you need to go. I think you got a good chance at this. You could go, and maybe you'll win this. And the way he describes it is, he says, you know, right now my expectations are right here. You know, they're, they're low. If, if I don't get it, I fall, and I sprain my ankle, and I can walk away. He says, if you try to get my hopes up, if my hopes are then up here, and I start thinking, maybe, maybe I have a chance at this, maybe I can win, then he says, and I don't get it, then I fall, and it's splat. And there's, there's a sense here of, you can imagine Thomas thinking, don't get my hopes up right now, I'm trying to deal with the grief and where I am. I don't need my hopes up, because if I'm up, if my hopes are raised, then the pain is going to increase too. So leave me alone, let me be. It's not worth it. The risk of pain outweighs the comfort of blessing. I would rather not feel anything than feel, feel the joy that might come. So this leaves us with, with the dilemma then of where do we go? If our, if our goal is protection, if our goal is to minimize the pain, if, if we have stacked the deck and we're, we're convinced that we are not going to, to embrace any other spiritual experience, where then do we go and how then do we respond to this? We see then Thomas's experience with Jesus. This passage tells us that for a week, uh, there is a week between when when Jesus appears to the disciples and when he appears to to Thomas. And so imagine for a week, Thomas is hearing and seeing the disciples rejoice. He is hearing them say over and over, Thomas, he's alive, you can believe. And time after time for that week, he refuses. He says, no, show me him, show me him. And this goes on and on. Jesus, who was not physically present to hear Thomas's demand, then appears and responds to it directly. 
in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This passage is called the climax of the Gospel of John. John, uh, the author of this Gospel, has been building this case saying that Jesus is God and he is worthy of our trust. He is reliable. He is faithful. He's someone that we can be committed to and he will respond. He is steady. This, This builds up to this moment And Jesus moves towards him, and he doesn't say, snap out of it, Thomas. They all told you. They've been telling you for a week that I'm alive. He doesn't do that. He moves towards Thomas. He moves towards with empathy and with compassion. And he says, okay, feel these wounds. Feel my hand. Feel my side. He moves towards him. And Thomas replies, my Lord and my God. He affirms the case that John has been making in this gospel, and he says, truly you are God. Truly you are worthy. Truly you are the one of character that we can trust, the one that we can place our hope in. And he says the word my, my Lord and my God. There is something personal something meaningful about this in a way that Thomas identifies with the Lord that he hasn't previously. He is my Lord and my God, the one who sees me and the one who moves towards me in my times of hopelessness. It's interesting after this that Jesus then makes this statement about, Thomas, you have seen, you have believed because you have seen, but so many other people don't have this blessing. He affirms Thomas's faith But then for the countless other people who have believed Jesus without the advantage of witnessing with their own eyes Jesus physically alive after the resurrection. And as much as Jesus moved towards Thomas with empathy and says, I'll move towards you in your hopelessness, notice how Jesus also recognizes the additional hurdle that so many of us face, that all of us face that we are trying to place our faith and trust in Jesus, and yet we have not witnessed for ourselves the physical evidence of him being alive. Jesus recognizes this. He recognizes this challenge. And he says, your faith is, is still valid, and this is something I recognize with you, that you will go through times of hopelessness, and you will not see him physically there with you. And so in this, we we have to ask, where then do we go if Thomas can can go to Jesus literally and be with him and find comfort in his hopelessness? Where then do we go? And we go, though we can't go to him uh, literally, 
We can go to him and we can see these are the stories and the promises that we have of Jesus. In Scripture, we see the promises that he says about, about us. He says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He says that nothing will separate his love for us. That He says that he is steady, he is reliable, and he will not leave you, and he will always be with us. And those are the promises that we cling to. And so Jesus shows empathy towards us in our, in our hopelessness. And so we cling to these promises and we wait for him to draw uh, near to us like he draw, drew near to Thomas. Jesus moved towards Thomas as he waited for that week to end. That he waited and waited and eventually Jesus showed himself. And for us, we cling to the promises of Jesus We cling to the promises of how he says he views us and who he is towards us, that he really is a God of character that we can trust. We cling to that and we wait. And God will show himself faithful. God will make his presence known and we will find that this season of hopelessness will end. That the darkness does not continue indefinitely, but there will be a time where it changes. We trust that Jesus will show himself. Earlier in the Gospel of John, we see a good, a good example of this. And uh, the wording of this, I think, is so unique to, to this story. In, in John 4, there is, there is an official who comes to Jesus and journeys to him and says, my son is sick. He is on his deathbed. Come and heal him. Will you please come and be with him? This is, this is in John 4, verse 50. The royal officials uh, and his sick son, and Jesus replied to this official, and he said, your son will live. And then it says this, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man trusted the promise of Jesus and he journeyed. And I can't help but wonder in that journey, what goes through his mind? Does he think, will Jesus really show himself faithful? Did I put my faith in the right place or am I set up for disappointment? Can I really have hope when I see how dire the circumstances are? This is my son. And he gets there and he sees his son alive and healthy. We can bring our questions, our pain, our doubt towards Jesus. And we wait and we cling to his promises and he will show himself faithful. Thomas is not a doubter. Thomas is someone who's experienced tremendous loss. Someone who knows what pain is like. Someone who knows what it's like to be disappointed on a tremendous level. To be devastated. He's not a doubter, but he's one who who has faced hopelessness. But he's also one who's experienced the comfort and the blessing of God in that. He had to hear for a week 
that he has a reason to celebrate and a reason to find joy, and there is no reason that he could see to do that. But Jesus moved towards him. Jesus heard his demand for, for evidence. And Jesus moved towards him with compassion and with empathy. And when we go through seasons of hopelessness, this is how Jesus views us. Jesus will move towards us, but we need to cling fast to his promises. Let me pray for us.